Welcome to the Northwest Takeover Service. If you are like, uh, what is that? <laughs> we are church planting right now, and our church bought a facility on the other side of town off of 465. And if you've been by it the past couple of days, you'll have seen a big, beautiful new sign on the side of the building that faces 465. And we're planning to have that open up here in the fall or winter before 2020. And my name is Luke. I'm the pastor of that location. We basically kicked Josh and the Keystone team out of here. And we're like, we're taking over this weekend. So we are going to have some real fun. I cannot tell you how much fun it was last night to watch Justin Cruzy drop the bowl of raffle tickets all over the floor and fumble it. It was so funny. I wish you guys could have seen it. But can you welcome those who are joining us live online right now? Give them a round of applause. Thank you for being here. If you would, help us get the word out. Open up your phone, go to your Facebook app, and share this live streaming service on the Mercy Road Church Facebook page. That will help us get the word out about what we are doing as a church in this season. I'm going to pray and then we will continue to worship. Jesus, thanks for bringing all these people out this morning to worship you and to hear from you. And what a fun morning where we get to laugh and, and sing. And I pray now, Jesus, that you would reach the people's hearts in this room. I pray that if anyone is in this room who is just not real sure about you, not really sure what you're up to in their life, God, would you reach them? Would you speak to them? God, would you pursue them with your love? We know, that, we know that you've got big and mighty plans for this morning, and we pray that none of us would leave unchanged afterwards. We dedicate the rest of the morning to you, and we pray this in your perfect name, Jesus. We all said together, amen. Psalm 77, 14 says this. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Before God called me into church planting, God called me into a 10-year tour of student ministry, which I'm actually pretty happy about because most youth pastors make it like five or six or seven years. I know a couple of youth pastors have made it like 20. That wasn't me. There was just no way I could do that. I came on staff here in the fall of 2015, and when I did, there was around 11, 12 students that were involved which was great. We had some volunteers leading the ministry, and we were all excited to see if we could reach new people and grow the student ministry. And it was a really great season of, of growth. And the first thing I did when I, I came on staff that fall was we, we began to talk to the students and, and the volunteer leaders. Hey, do you all want to go to summer camp? Like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Like, great, we, we do too. How, how about this? So I pitched this idea. How about we go to Panama City Beach, Florida? You know, the number one party capital in the world for spring break. They're like, yeah! I'm like, it's not what you think. We're going to go 20 minutes west of the city. They're like, oh, okay, that's still cool. So we rented this facility on the beach, right? We've got this big, beautiful facility on the beach. And, and I look into the numbers and the volunteers, and they're like, okay, this is really great, but we only have 12 students. We can't afford this. There's just no way. And so we began to pray and we began to pray, and we began to pray that God would provide a way for us to take these 12 students to Florida for summer camp in the summer of 2016. And so you know what we did? We encouraged those students to get involved in the lives of their friends and start praying for them and make these invitations for them to come to Florida. And so we get, uh, we get a little bit for, uh, closer to June, and, and my volunteer leaders who are good with numbers, I'm not great with numbers, but they are, and they're like, hey, Luke, um, we need 
48 students to make this trip financially viable. I'm like, we got 12. We're on a good start. Like, we're good. We're going to make it. Let, let, me just, let me just tell you this. You guys know the rest of the story, right? In June of 2016, a charter bus pulled up to the front of this church, and 48 students walked on that bus. Give God a round of applause. Like, that is God doing a miracle in our church. And we took 48 students with us to Panama City Beach, Florida. It was the most amazing experience. They loved it. We loved it. And so they all wanted to do it again the next, the next summer, summer 2017. We had like 65 students immediately register for camp. And then we realized, this is great, but we're reaching a lot of new people now. We're reaching a lot of new contacts now. And we had like 15, maybe 20 students who just simply didn't have the financial means to make it to camp. And so we're like, hey, Go do something where you can make some money. Go, like, mow the yard, see if your dad will give you a buck, like, sell your phone. They're like, I'm not selling anything. Like, no way. And so we were like, sell anything you got. Like, go save your birthday money, save your Christmas money, anything you can do to raise funds. And they, and they did. They rose like 20, 30 bucks, but we all know it takes a little bit more money than that to send a teenager to Florida for summer camp. And so we got a closer and closer to the June of 2017, and there's 20 students that couldn't go. And so I got on stage in like May of 2017, and I asked you all to sponsor up to $8,000 for these 20 students to go to camp. And I knew it was a long shot. I didn't know. And at the end of that weekend in 2017, I had in my hand checks for over $10,000 to send 20 students to summer camp in the summer of 2017. God is still a miracle dealer. I want you to elbow your neighbor and say, this is the bottom line. Elbow your neighbor and say, listen up and say, look at the screen. God is still a miracle dealer. You know, we often think that God was like all up to this really mighty great stuff in the Old Testament, right? We see the scriptures. We see what God did. Oh, you know, God made the sun stand still. Like, I saw that scripture. God parted the seas. Like, I saw that scripture. Like, Jesus brought dead people back to life. Like, that's kind of amazing. But did he stop? Did we get to the new age, and did he just stop doing miracles? No, I just told you two from the, the past couple of summers. God is still a miracle dealer. One of the most respected theologians of our time, Dr. Wayne Grudem, you may know him, you, you may not care, who also happened to be one of my professors at Phoenix Seminary, defines a miracle this way. A miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Let me say it again. A miracle is a less common kind of God's activity, not ours, but God's activity, in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. You know, miracles authenticate the message of the gospel. Miracles demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here and now and not later and not in the past. Miracles help those in need. They remove hindrances from ministry efforts. And most importantly, miracles glorify God and make him famous. God is still a miracle dealer. 
And I think that if you've ever seen God work in your life where your awe and your wonder are peaked through the roof, you saw a miracle. And you may have not even known it. Here's the thing. This is the exciting part. God performs miracles. And he is the power of the miracle. But the pattern of scripture is clear over and over and over again. God performs miracles, but never on his own. He always has us participate in the miracle with him. Think about this for a second before you throw something at me and call me a heretic. Look back in the Old Testament. Moses had a part to play in parting the Red Sea. God did the miracle, but God casted Moses in the part. What about Israel? They all got a part to play. When they marched around the walls of Jericho and those walls came tumbling down, they all got to play a part in that miracle. God was the power, but they got to participate. And I I think that what I would want you to know this morning is that my favorite miracle of all time might be your favorite miracle of all time, the feeding of the 5,000, because we all love food. If you've got your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. And what I want to do is I want to demonstrate that not only is God still a miracle dealer, but God actually calls us to participate with him in the miracle. So, hey, we're going to have a little fun this morning. Because it's the Northwest Takeover, and we're just going to just laugh and have a good time, I'm going to ask you to participate and interact with me throughout the rest of this message. If you hear something that's like true and powerful and good, I just want you to give me a spiritual yummy. You know what a spiritual yummy is? It's like when you hear something like good and powerful, like, mmm. That's what a spiritual yummy is. You go, mmm, or mm-hmm, like any of that is permissible. I encourage that. Please give me a spiritual yummy if you hear something that's powerful from God's word. This is starting in verse 10. This is the word of God. It says this, when the apostles returned, they report to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. He replied, as in Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Can you imagine with me for a moment, if you were one of the disciples, that Jesus just asked this request of? Can you imagine if you were in a crowd of 5,000 people and Jesus just asked you to go and get some food for all of them? I'd be like, Jesus, you know there's 5,000 people here, right? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Like, they sound like whiny babies. We can't do it. We can't do it. I don't know what you're going to do, Jesus, but it ain't going to work. You know what I think is interesting about this passage? It exploits the human condition that exists in everyone's soul. 
which is when God asks us to do something very specific for him, our inclination is to give him an excuse. But I only have five loaves of bread. I only have two fish. Wah, wah, wah. But you know what? Jesus doesn't ask us to perform the miracle. He asks us to participate with him in the miracle. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God wants to do this with us. Isn't that cool? Here, here's the, man, here's the big idea. I want you guys to, actually, you know what? I'm going to finish this passage. I want you guys to see how the disciples responded. Verse 15 says this. The disciples, what? They did so, and everyone sat down. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves of bread and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were all satisfied. That is amazing. They all ate. 5,000 people ate, and they were all satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. It is just like God to ask us to do something for him. We do it, and then there's a bunch left over afterwards. It is just like God to show off his power and his goodness and display just how much he can do with our little small acts of obedience. Someone give me a spiritual yummy. Here's the main idea. I want you to poke your neighbor and say, listen up, because here's the main idea. Poke him and say it. Here's the main idea. I just heard an owl. The main idea is this. Our small acts of obedience become God's big miracles. Our acts of obedience, our small acts of obedience become God's big miracles. I just want to ask you something. Do you ever feel like God is not up too much in your life? Do you ever feel like you just go through the motions and you're checking off the, the list, you're just playing church, you're playing the faith? Nothing really is exciting is happening. You're good. You still love Jesus, but nothing's really exciting is happening. I just want to ask you something. What small act of obedience are you saying no to? I think that God sometimes doesn't seem like he's up too much in our lives because we tell him no. Because we say, no, God, I'm not going to go do that. No, God, I don't want no part in this. Don't cast me in this part. I, I do not want to go get fish for you or bread for you or divide the 5,000 into groups of 50. Do not include me in this. And this happens to all of us. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in seasons of life where we're like, where are you, God? What are you up to, Lord? You know, I experienced salvation at a young age, or I experienced salvation recently, but now it's just kind of dry and dull. And what are you doing? What's going on? I want you to look into your heart and ask yourself, what small act of obedience are you say no to, and that might be the reason why you're experiencing not much of God in your life. I want you to breathe on your neighbor. Breathe on them and say, this is the big challenge. How'd their breath smell? Was it good? This is the big challenge. What 
small act of obedience are you saying no to and why? No, God, I'm not going to tithe 10% of my income. No, God, I'm not going to get involved in my church community beyond Sunday mornings. No, God, I will not confess that secret habit to my spouse. No, God, I'm not going to spend that extra time with my children. No, God, no, God, no. And we just say no to God. We're wondering, why isn't God doing anything? It's because we're saying no to him. Because he's called each and every one of us to participate with him in his work. And specifically, God has called each one of us to some miraculous thing in our lifetime. God did not stop doing miracles when the Bible was canonized. He just got it started. We're only going to start seeing in the future what God can do in and through the local church if we would just say yes to God. Come on, someone give me a spiritual yummy for that. We are just now getting started. And we all say no. And each one of us has said no to God at some point in our life. You know what I think? I think we don't even know why we say no. I think we say no because it's easy. I think we say no because we're scared. I think, I think we say no because we're just unsure. For you note takers, here's your big opportunity. I want to take a moment and look into the human soul and look at the reasons why we say no to God. We say no to God because, one, we are scared we can't. I can't, God. I can't, God. I can't. I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't go get those fish and those bread, and I can't do what you're asking me to do. Can I just tell you a real funny story real quick that you can laugh at? I actually went to college to become a cop. I'd be like the worst cop ever. I'd be like, oh, you've, you're speeding, you know, you've got drugs in your car. The Lord be with you, you have mercy, um, you know, collect $200, pass, go free. You know, I, I would be a terrible cop. When I was about 20 or 21, I, I heard the call of ministry on my life, and I said yes to God for the very first time of him turning my life upside down. But when I was about 26, 27, I heard the call on my life crystal clear, Luke, I want you to plant or lead a church. I was like, nope. <laughs> Not doing that, God. You got the wrong guy. Because I can't. I don't have the expertise. I don't have the manpower, the willpower, the knowledge, the energy. I can't do this. And I said no to God for like year after year after year because I was scared I couldn't do it. And then there was this moment maybe a year or two ago. Josh and I were at a conference in Florida, a church planting conference. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story in the Old Testament of Gideon's fleece. If you're familiar with that story, it's an identical story. If you're not, that's totally okay. Basically, Gideon was testing God. And so in this pensive moment of worship at the back of this massive auditorium in, in Orlando, Florida, God said, Luke, I want you to plant a church. Stop saying no to me. I'm like, no, not doing it. I've told you no a hundred times. How about this? How about I, I test you and, and we'll just seal the deal now. I'm not doing this and I don't ever want to hear about it again. So I said, okay, God, I'll plant a church for you if... You have somebody come up to me and place your hand on my left shoulder, my left shoulder, and if you do that, I'll plant a church for you. And I was like, sweet, scotch-free, don't have to do this now. There's no way God's going to figure this one out. I know he's not going to figure out, you know, left and right. It's just, I'm good. 
until a hot 14 seconds later when someone came up and put their hand on my left shoulder and started praying for me powerfully. And I was like, fine, I'll plant a church for you, but you're going to regret it. <laughs> I was scared. I was scared I couldn't do it. I was scared I can't do it. And you know what? It's been this crazy thrill ride ever since. But the reality is, is we say no to God because we're scared we can't. Because we're scared that we have to be responsible for the miracle, for the outcome. But the only thing that God asked those disciples to do was to obey. Go get some food, break off the 5,000 into groups of 50, and I'll take care of the rest. We don't perform the miracle. We only participate in it. We don't have the responsibility of the outcome. We have only the responsibility of obedience. If you are also scared that you can't do something for God, get out of your own head like I had to and stop thinking I can't thoughts and start thinking God can thoughts and you will see God unleash that miracle in your lifetime. Because you're scared you can't, but you got to remember that you were never supposed to. You were only supposed to obey. And number two, we are scared he won't. God, if I say yes to you, how do I know you're going to come through? How do I know that you're actually going to fulfill this promise in my life? I don't want to put it all on the line. Like, I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't want to know if you're going to actually come through for me. I've been burnt before. I don't trust you fully, obviously. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to just say yes to you and then nothing happens and I look embarrassed in front of my friends and I put it all out there. I sacrifice financially. I uproot my life to make sure that I'm following my call in my life. And then are you going to show up and actually do the things you promised you would do? Nowhere in God's word does he make a promise that he doesn't fulfill. God continues to fulfill promises. It's his best thing he does. He makes a promise and he keeps a promise. And I just want you to know that if you are scared that he won't do something in your life, you've got to remember your part is obedience. His part is the outcome. Whether you see it now or in 50 years, I don't know. But the reality is this. We take upon ourselves the responsibility of the outcome, and we are not meant to bear that weight. We are just called to get the food, break the 5,000 groups of 50, and wait on God. And if you believe, and if you are scared, and if you are saying no to God, because you're scared he won't come through, just remember your part. Just remember how he's casted you in the miracle. It's a small part with a big, big result. And number three, and finally, and this is the most real one, I think, for a lot of us in this room, we are scared he will. We say no to God because we are scared he will. Well, if I say yes to God, that means he's going to like turn my life upside down. And I really like my comfortable life. I like my nine to five. I like the friends that I have. I like the state I live in. I like the house that I live in. I don't want to do anything. I just want to like go to church. I just want to like check that off the box. And I just want to be comfortable. 
If I say yes to God, he might change something. And I get it. And, and you can absolutely say no to God your whole life. And you can get to the end of your life. And you probably would have lived a nice and comfortable life. And, and that's totally fine. But you will have missed the crazy roller coaster that is following Jesus. You will have missed the thrill ride that comes with abandoning all for Christ. The ups and the downs and the people you meet and the places you go and the stories you'll be able to tell, it is unbelievable. And I just want you to know that if you are scared that God will actually do what he says he will do, I just want you to embrace it and say, well, I'm scared that if I say yes to you, God, you're actually going to turn my life upside down. But if you do that, I, you know, that means I'll have to abandon all these other things in my life. And I just want you to know, those things will fade so fast in your memory, you won't even remember them a month later. Say yes to God. Say yes to that small act of obedience. Say yes. What small act of obedience are you currently saying no to and why? Which one of these fears is it? Take a moment and think to yourself, what am I saying no to? Here's the beautiful thing, church. When we turn no, God, I won't into yes, God, I will, miracles can follow. Miracles will follow. 5,000 people could get fed. I just wonder, I just wonder how many miracles are in this room that have yet to be performed. How many people in this room this morning in this facility have said no to God in all of the areas of their life, but God is just waiting for you to say yes to him so he can unleash this miracle in your life that will bless other people. Can you imagine the miracles that would be in this room? room that could impact the rest of this city and state if we would just say yes to God. Last summer, the summer of 2018, was the last summer that I served as the youth pastor at this church. And I remember telling the students, guys, let's, let's, let's have a ton of fun this last summer. This is our third summer in Florida, and I want to make sure we you know, end with a bang before the new youth pastor comes in and leads us to the next level. And let's just, let's just go to Florida. Let's have a great time. They're like, yeah, let's do it. So we got all the volunteer leaders together, and we all started praying, praying that God would do something miraculous and big and powerful in the lives of these kids. And I specifically remember thinking to myself, oh, man, this is going to be a big trip. we got like 85 students, like 15 or 20 leaders. This is a big old you know, exodus from Carmel to Panama City Beach, Florida. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. So we get down there and we have this amazing week. And the thing about summer camp for students is like, there's always like a cry night at the end of the week. You know what I'm saying? Like there's always like this moment where a bunch of students are like super emotional because they gave their lives to Christ and it's all legit stuff. And, and we're always praying to that end. We can't wait till that last night because so many students want to trust in Christ for the first time. So we're praying for two, three, four baptisms this time. Anytime that you go to summer camp and you take students with you, you're always praying for at least a small handful of baptisms. And on the last night, we're upstairs in this lodge, a really neat lodge right on the beach. There's like 85 students, like 15, 20 adults, all packed in this room. It was amazing, hot and sweaty. And I just saw this this girl, I'd known her for a couple years. Her, 
We'll, we'll call her Izzy, because that's actually her name. And I saw Izzy, and I saw Izzy looking kind of down and to the left. And all the other students were like worshiping with their hands in the air, and they were just bouncing around having a great time. But I saw Izzy, and I could tell that she was thinking about her life. Now, Izzy had been a part of our youth group for a year or two. She loved what we were doing. She loved, you know, playing the part. She loved being involved, all the friends that she had and the fun stuff that we got to do. But she had questions that I couldn't answer. She had questions that the volunteer leaders just couldn't answer. You could tell that she was curious about God, but she wasn't ready to jump all in with him. So when I saw Izzy that night, and I saw her in that crowd, and she was kind of looking contemplative and, and thinking about her life. I knew that she was thinking about her life and thinking about God. I just began to pray for that girl harder than I've ever prayed for anyone in my whole life. And I just said, Lord, save that kid tonight. I want to see her get saved. I want to see her get baptized. I prayed that with all of the energy I've ever prayed for anyone ever. Nothing happened. The night went on. We continued to worship. At the climax of the worship experience, at the end of the evening, Will, an incredible student, 16-year-old, full of faith, just comes up to me, bawling, saying, Luke, I want to get baptized. We're like, sweet, we got one in the bank. Let's do this. And so we all gather, the hundred of us go down from the upstairs lodge to this pool that's right next to our lodge next to the beach. And the students all sit on the edge of the pool with their feet in the water. Will jumps in, and he's just crying. And now we're so excited. And we baptize Will. And he comes up out of the water, and all the students are just going nuts. And then there's like a lull. It's like a celebratory lull right after that. Students are kind of chatting and not really sure what to do next. And I'm like, please, Lord, just one more. So I just say, hey, we're going to have a time of open baptism. If you want to get baptized, this is your opportunity. And if no one else wants to get baptized, it's totally okay. I, I had totally forgotten about Izzy. And to my shock, that girl jumps from the side of the pool into the water. And I look at her, and I just lost it. And she comes over to me and the other volunteer leaders, and I go, Izzy, you have no idea how long we've been praying for you. She goes, I want to get baptized. And so we baptized this girl, and it was this incredible miracle of a salvation for his soul that got robbed from hell and stored up in heaven for eternity. And I thought to myself, this is great. We got two. I can't wait to go home and tell everyone that we just baptized two students. I thought the night was over. Man, me of little faith. I had no idea what God had in store. You see, there's something about the courage of one person that will inspire masses. And there was a moment where Izzy jumped in the pool, and what I didn't know is that there was all these other students that were on the fence about Jesus. They were all on the fence about going all in for God, and they were just waiting for the courage of one person, of one more person to jump in the water. And we proceeded to baptize 30 
more students in the course of two hours. Somebody give me a spiritual yummy. Give God a shout of praise for that. We witnessed a big old miracle from Izzy's small act of obedience. And I began to tell those students, man, I wish the canon wasn't closed because we would have made it into God's word. We would have had a chapter in the New Testament that said, Mercy Road Church, Florida, 2018, when 32 students got baptized in the name of Jesus. All because one kid obeyed. One small act of obedience turned into God's big miracle. If you're curious why God isn't up to much in your life, I want you to ask yourself, what am I saying no to? What one small act of obedience am I saying no to? Here's the thing. There are a bunch of Izzy's in this room right now. There's a whole lot of Izzy's in this room that you're just waiting to say yes to God, but you're scared that you can't. You're scared that he won't come through for you, or you're scared he will do exactly what he said he will do and turn your life upside down. And what I'm telling you is the 16-year-old girl named Izzy had the courage to do it. If she's got the courage, you do too. Here in a moment, I want to give anyone in this room an opportunity to say yes to God. But let me just say pragmatically, for those who follow Jesus and call him the Lord of your life, we're in a season of our church where we need 100% of the people of our church to say yes to God. If we're really going to see these locations get started and grow, we need 100% of you to say yes to God. This morning, Fishers was filled with people who said yes to church planting and Fishers. John Jones needs a whole host of you to say yes to him for downtown. Can I just be really frank and honest with you? PJ and I need 250 of you to say yes to coming to Northwest with us to get that church started. And even if you don't want to stay long term, that's okay. There will always be this church too. But we need everyone in this church to say yes to God. But none of that matters if you've personally never said yes to God. None of it matters. Church plane doesn't matter. Discipleship doesn't matter. None of it matters unless you have trusted in Christ the way that Izzy did in the summer of 2018. Would you all close your eyes for me just for a moment and bow your heads? I know that there are folks in this room, there are folks in this room that have never said yes to God before. I just want you to know that you've got an opportunity to say yes to God this morning. And so I want to speak directly to the brother or the sister that is far from God. You're curious about God, but you've been telling him no for years. Would you just put your hands out in front of you, your palms up? My eyes are closed now, so I will not see who it is. Just put your arms on your lap with your hands and your palms up and just simply say, God, I've been saying no to you for years. And I've been saying no because I'm scared that I can't do what you want me to do. And I'm scared that you won't follow through the way that you say you will. And I'm scared that you'll actually do what you'll say you'll do and change my life and turn it upside down. But on this morning, I say yes to you. If that's you, would you just say yes to God right now? Just say yes. 
And now I want to speak to the ones who've been following Jesus their whole life, who feel like they're in a place of apathy and complacency and going through the motions that have, are just playing church, that you don't believe God's doing much in their life. I want you to ask yourself, what small act of obedience am I saying no to? And say yes to God there. Say yes to God in your finances and in your relationships and in your personal life and in your friendships and at your work and in your neighborhood with your neighbors and with your kids. And I want you to say yes to God with church planting and discipleship and multiplication. Just say yes to God because God has a miracle waiting for you on the other side of your small act of obedience. You don't perform the power, but you get to participate in the Father's power. Get included in what God is doing. You can open your eyes now. As you leave this morning and as we finish in worship and as you leave, I just want you to recall that there's a whole lot of miracles that have not taken place in this church yet that God's got plans for. And there's a whole lot of miracles God's got planned for the state of Indiana and the city of Indianapolis and the suburbs surrounding. And he might have a part for you to play in that miracle. So say yes to God today and say yes to God tomorrow. And if you were here this morning and you said yes to God personally for your life, you placed your trust in Christ for the very first time, mark that on a connect card. He's asking from us a very small act of obedience because the reality is this, everybody. Jesus has already given us everything. He's already died on the cross. He's already raised from the grave. He already reigns as our king. He's given us everything he possibly can. And all he asks from us is the small act of obedience to say yes to him. Yes, you're giving your whole life over to him. But when you say yes, he does everything else.